Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Amanda Blackwood. I'm your host, of course. With me today, I have an incredible woman. I was super thrilled when she uh, was uh, agreeable to being on my podcast. Uh, Marsha Van Winsberg has been dealing with some stuff uh, in in her life that I think a lot of parents especially can really um, kind of understand, um, but a lot of us in ourselves too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just parents, but parents will probably get a, a lot of help out of this. Uh, I'm going to let her explain this because of course I'm already failing at it because she's incredible and I can't put it into words. So Marsha, welcome to the show. Okay. First off, you're not failing. And <laughs> second of all, I'm always the one to correct when I hear like, no, 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 be, be kind to ourselves. Um, <laughs> and the second piece is thank you so much for having me here, Amanda. This is, I mean, your platform, everything that you're doing and speaking and sharing is, it is required. It's literally required. These are the topics that we need to talk about. So I'm grateful to be here. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg, and I am a whole lot of things from storytelling NLP trainer, um, speaker, published author, multi-podcast that we have released. And I am in this space of almost not recognizing where life is now compared to where it was. Um, About a decade ago, we started dealing with teen substance abuse and there's nothing about our story that was a phase. Many people at that time and still do now say, it's just a phase, they'll go through it, it happens. For us, it came into our life and it never left. It literally just never left. And it started to affect, impact, infect every single aspect of our lives. And through that process, I mean, I basically got to the part where you were watching your kids become someone else. And during those years, I I did everything I could think to find solutions. Like I wasn't hiding in the sense, because I was, you know, visiting uh, programs and, and mentors and counselors and crisis counselors and schools, I wasn't hiding it, but I was hiding from the rest of the world because the amount of criticism that we experienced during those years was overwhelming. It was absolutely overwhelming. And it really is one of those things that you can't understand until you can have the, um, hindsight to look at it differently and understand that our story just scared a lot of people. 
And when yeah. there's fear involved, it really, what happens is people are afraid. They don't want it to be them. And in those kinds of situations, it's a lot easier to place blame because then they must have done something wrong. That's why they have that. That won't possibly ever happen to me. And I know that's just human nature. And so as I started to really dive into finding small ways to share my story, like really small ways, we were helping out in the schools, we were doing, you know, small meetings, etc. I started to see how many people were constantly letting shame drive the wheel. And it was just keeping people more and more people stuck. And when we're in those situations, we feel like we're the only one in the world who is struggling with this problem. And the reason we feel that way is because we don't talk openly. And so it eventually started to just grow. And the other piece of that, that ties it back to the stigma that I shared is we didn't look like the traditional people, families that you would expect would be struggling with this problem, which meant it was even more important. I felt to speak and to, you know, add my voice to it because we have to start to change some of the stigmas that these problems only affect certain people. Cause it's so not true. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't break this down to a certain demographic or a certain part of the world. You can't say this doesn't happen in my neighborhood. It could be your next door neighbor and it could be your own kid living in your basement. Oh, not definitely not anymore. That is, that is not the case. And in fact, just from, I don't have a stat with me, but from a number of people that I work with during those years, they said, you know, it's actually far more prevalent in very high income families and, yes. and high, you know, because of cash or money or whatever it is. So there is definitely not a segment of the population that is the only people that are affected by this. Right. Right. And how do you approach this kind of subject with your kids? When do you mean now or then, or as a suggestion for parents? Well, probably a good place to start would be suggestion for parents. How did you deal with it back then also? Well, what I can say is how I dealt with it then is, is that it was my immediate reaction was no way in hell. Like, no way. We're not doing this. This is not coming into our house. It's very much not coming in. And I mean, also put into context, my kids were 12 and 13 when it was coming in regularly. So it is young. And, you know, I look back and I think I was an absolute no, like no chance, not happening. That's how I handled the situation. Was I super harsh? Yes. And I've actually even asked my kids now, you know, I know that I was very clear and direct during those times, but was there ever any part of you that was unclear about how I felt about it? And their answers were absolutely not like we knew, we knew. And so I think one of the things is you have to decide where you are on the fence and the things with, when you're dealing with kids, consistency wins it. I mean, eventually consistency wins. And so you want to be, you know, following up and following through with what you say you're going to do. And so for us, it was like, absolutely not. It's not coming in here, but no matter how many times we threw it out, we got rid of it. We did whatever we could. It just came back. It was there. It was there. It was there on a regular, regular basis until eventually it hit a point where, you know, it affected them going to school and it affected our lives in all different areas. So I think, I think you have to become very clear on what your expectations are as a parent, because one of the perfect storms that we had at this time was the fact that they were minors. And so 
school didn't have a problem with what they were doing. Police didn't have a problem with, nobody had a problem with what they were doing except for us. And at this point, I mean, we had a number of other families and people that we knew really well who thought it's not a big deal. It's actually safer to let your kids smoke up in the house than it is to wonder where they are. And so it's very important as a parent that you're crystal clear on what your what is important to you and what you're willing to follow through on, because that's where it got even blurrier and more challenging was that we had so many differing views on how to handle this. Wow. What were some of the early signs that you started to notice when your boys were, you said they were starting to change physically and mentally and emotionally? Yeah. I think some of the early signs were that like the behaviors changed you could start to see, like, in my opinion, I, I don't care what the substance is. It actually, it's, it, it is irrelevant to a degree. Um, when you have to use something in the morning and you have to use it during the day and you need it at night and you go to extremes to get it, which involves money, taking things like that, then, then it's a problem, right? It's a, it's a problem. Like it doesn't matter if it's legal or not legal substance. If I need it to function all day long, then it's a problem. And so that's what we started to notice is that it was here all the time. It was here constantly and things like money would go missing. They would not come home on time or at all. Um, we had periods of time where we couldn't find them for days and they wouldn't go to school. They, so, so any, any, what I'm going to call basic societal rules, they weren't following. Like there was just absolutely, we got to a point, I think as a parent, when you asked me what we did in the beginning, you know, we had all these rules, parents, we, we all do these things. We, we make these rules as to what they have to do, what they have to follow. I mean, the rules were ridiculously long and they were, they were so much. So eventually we got to the point where the rules were so simple. It's like you, you come home, you're respectful, you know, you don't damage property, you go to school or, and, and you can't have drugs here. Like that's what the rules became. So you have to start to really break it down and be super, super simple on what, what's your, what your rules are, but then also be willing to follow it through. Cause if you're not willing to follow it through, then they know that they know that. And that becomes just that much harder to navigate. Right. It's an empty thread. Oh yeah. And it's very easy to do. Trust me. We did it 10,000 times over because it was just trying to figure it out. But eventually you get to a point where it's like, wait, I'm actually part of the problem. If I don't find a way to say something and stick to it. Right. It's similar to, you know, and I hate to make this comparison, but similar no. to uh, the, the cats in my household. Um, <laughs> yeah. We have water bottles. If they're getting into something that they shouldn't be getting into, an immediate response for me is to take the water bottle and to squirt them with a little bit of water. And they mm -hmm. run off and, you know, they stay out of it. Mm -hmm. It's to the point now where if I reach for that water bottle, they know that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing and they scamper off and go do something else. Yeah. When my husband reaches for the water bottle, he doesn't want to have to go over and clean the water up off of the floor. So he picks it up and he swishes it around in the bottle and points it at him and they just look at him. <laughs> if you That's don't funny. follow through on your threats, they're not going to learn from what you're saying your actions will be. No. And, and you can get to the point where you do follow through on everything you yes. say you will. And that still doesn't mean that it's going to be fixed. I think that's yeah. the other, 
that's the hard part is I, I remember, you know, I was, like I said, I was getting a lot of support at the time. I'm taking my, my little checklist sheet, almost like a proud student. I'm taking it to my counselors and I'm like, okay, I did everything you've asked. Like every single thing you've asked, I've done it. And they're like, yes, that's it. You know, good job. I'm like, okay, but nobody still have the problems. I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. And it got to the point where it was like, cause it's not your problem to solve anymore. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, how wow. do you do that as a, and I know as harsh as that sounds, it was true. It was not because I couldn't make them make change. I tried, I tried everything possible and the, it had to come to a point of letting go and surrendering and saying, I, I don't know how this is going to go, but my job became doing what I, doing what I could and what we could to give their future self a chance. That became my anchor is will this decision today, forget who they are right now. Is this going to give their future self a chance or not? And that's what I started to make those decisions for. And I, I realized this is a really difficult conversation and I have so many parents that will reach out and say, but how, how do you get them to change? I'm like, you can't, you okay. can, you have to continue to lead the way and be clear on what is okay and what's not okay. Right. And hopefully they will reach that point where they're willing and ready to start taking your guidance. Yes. And I think that really is as a parent, I mean, I think our actions become so much more powerful than our words. And when I say, you know, we tie it back to earlier, be careful what you say if you're not willing to follow through because they'll watch the actions more than they'll watch, then they'll listen to the words. Right. And it, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, we had, um, they were failing in school. They were, you know, schools were like, what do we do? And I'm like, you failed them. And we went through this whole era where they didn't even want to fail kids. And I'm like, but they're not going to school. Like, how can, what do you mean you don't want to fail them? And it's just this, this bizarre thing that, you know, you can't, there's no human who is going to change their behavior. If there's not a consequence, I don't care who you are. It's not going to happen. And so there had to come some consequences for their choices of what they were doing. And that's when things started to change. It's like, okay, that's great. If you don't want to go to school and you, you don't want to work, you can't stay here. That's just, I don't know where you're going to go. And that's where that's an easy thing to say, a very difficult thing to follow through on. Wow. Yeah. So I understand um, writing your book was kind of probably quite therapeutic, but also uh, a good way of being able to discover a little bit more about yourself. Is that right? Yes. I, I, I actually published um, three collaborative chapters in between 2015 and 2016. And I had this gut pull that I was meant to write my own book. And it felt so clear and I felt ready to do it. And I remember being, you know, so proud and excited and telling my family what I was going to do, which of course everybody thought was an absolutely horrific idea. And <laughs> so, and because everybody's, again, everybody was concerned about how it was going to make them look. But when you really do share a vulnerable story and you share it from your perspective, you know, it, it left my kids in, I mean, it's, I certainly did not speak negatively of them. I had to go through that process. And so it's a very vulnerable share and it allowed me, I think it's actually one of the things that helped me to heal the most in the beginning is really recognizing that, wow, I was actually, you know, I felt a lot of guilt and I felt a lot of shame and because I felt I had failed 
as a person and as a mother and as a, so I had to learn how to move through a lot of those motions and be able to share them and process them and go through the work. And as hard as it was, I would say it was one of the best things that I ever did to support myself in the process of healing and learning to not let that story define me. And, you know, that's a big part of where the letting go came. Now it was also incredibly vulnerable and a challenge to put yourself out there. Um, but I'm grateful that I've done it. I'm grateful you've done it too. I think your story can probably help a lot of people to get through some of the hard times that they've had to deal with. Yeah, it definitely, when I wrote it, I wrote it with the intention is that I wanted it to be able to support people who were on their path of life. And then the plan didn't go according to plan, which is literally always right. That's how it it works. It doesn't, we set this plan for what our life is going to look like. Nobody plans for this. And so it was a case of what do I do when life takes a major detour? And I just shared how I found my way through it. The beautiful thing is, is that it's connected with people who have, you know, lost a spouse, lost parents, um, marriages have ended, et cetera. So that's what I wanted it to be. And it, it has supported people, even if they didn't walk in my shoes. And it also opened up eyes for people who maybe carried a lot more judgments than they realize. I've gotten a lot of messages over the years from people saying, you know what, there's so much more to the story than what I ever thought. I never thought, I I always thought it was just as simple as, you know, tell your kids not to, and you're fine. And, and it's not. And I also know that there's a lot more to the story in the sense that some kids will pick up pot. They will pick up alcohol. They will try it once, maybe have it a few times on the weekend. Don't really care. Not a big deal. And they move on. And for some people, they do try some kind of substance and it just never stops. It's, and that's, we're very wired differently. So it's not as simple as, you know, trying it once and then, and then being done. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I know it, it really is different for every single person. One person uh, may have tried this particular drug at one point and did not get addicted to it. And he's trying to tell his buddies, look, it's not addictive at all. I've done it. And the so other true. guy, the second he tries it, he's yeah. hooked for the rest of his life. Yes. I've interviewed so many people who come across this and they're like, I don't even know what happened. I just started drinking and then, you know, one drink and I wake up blacking out. Like, I don't even understand what happened. That's just, I don't know why, but I think we're all very, we're made differently. We're all wired differently. And again, more important to continue to have these conversations. Yes. So as well as writing, helping you to get through your trauma and process everything, what else have you found that was really helpful for you? Mm. Over the years, I have found that, um, like the last probably three years, I've been diving into different pieces of an understanding what NLP is and NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. And I, this was a major eye opener for me because I just muscled my way through things, right? You just push, go forward, just keep going. But I was skipping a lot of the healing steps and I, and I didn't realize that until about 2020, And through that process, that has been, you know, release, um, release exercises, different, you know, Kundalini, different movement, different yoga, um, and then subconscious reprogramming. So I've been using 
tools such as time techniques where you can actually work with the subconscious mind to change some of those triggers that we experience that plant in our body and they're there for years to come. So learning how to change the story, like change those triggers, EFT tapping, hypnosis, um, subliminals, a ton of counseling, a lot of mentoring, and just really working on trying to build a better relationship with myself and listen to what I need every day. And that might sound really simple, but that's actually been one of my, my lifelong lessons and journeys is learning how to listen to what my needs were and build a better relationship with myself. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's been a life lesson. It is honestly has, <laughs> it really has. You know, I was, I come from that generation where you do, you know, six days of workouts a week and they look like this and you have the thing all mapped out. Now I'm just so much better at, I move every day, but I listen to what I need. I, I, I don't, I don't do things in a method of punishment. It's like, listen to what I need and, and support myself as best as possible. And there are those days I'm sure where <laughs> hey, I had a nap the other day. I had a nap the other day. I was like, you know what, Marsha, you're, it's been a tough couple months and I think you could use it now. I have to give myself permission, but I immediately fell asleep and I'm like, yep, the old me wouldn't have done this. And, and it's okay. Like this is actually, this is good. So it's just really interesting as you continue to grow through some of those challenges. Yes. It's so cool too, when you start listening to yourself and you start figuring out what you actually need. Cause in the middle of the trauma brain, you can't figure that stuff out. You're still focused on survival from one day to the next. And Gosh. moving through that is such a beautiful thing. It really is. And I'm glad that you said that because the survival piece is, is literally all we tried to do. Like we just tried to, I mean, even in saying this, it sounds, if somebody's listening to this, it might sound like it was easy. It was not, it was not, it was a, it was a conscious choice every single day to continue. And eventually you just start stacking wins, but those wins, it, it you require a lot of repetition when you're dealing with trauma. And I didn't, it was a counselor who actually said to me, because we were in a meeting and there was a whole a bunch of us and somebody dropped something on the floor and I literally like jumped off the chair. You would have thought there was like a whole floor of snakes there. And she said, why did you do that? I said, cause it was noisy. And she goes, no, nope, no one else did that. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what did I do wrong? I was thinking I did something wrong. And she goes, no, no, you, that's like trap trauma. You have PTSD in your body. And I'm like, How, what? And it, I didn't understand because even then it was like, you think it is people who have lived in, you know, super traumatic situations, but really we did like, it was extremely unpredictable and very scary at times. And so that has been a work in progress of recognizing that I have to work on me because that's also the only other way any of my other relationships are going to improve. Amen. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's so many of those trauma reactions too, where even as we are, uh, we've already worked through the basic stages of trauma and we're in the acceptance. Now we understand that this has happened when we're ready to start doing the hard work to get through it. These trauma reactions keep cropping up like the hypervigilance. You were so startled when a pen fell on the floor. Yes. Um, perfectionism is another uh, trauma response. And there's so many of them, the flashes of anger, the, um, the avoidance of, of things that we typically love doing. Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm sure you probably went through a ton of those too. 
Oh, I went through everything you just described, every single thing. <laughs> just I, I did seriously, and I didn't add it up to understand what it was because when you're in survival, you're literally just trying to make it one more day. That that was literally people would say to me, "What are you going to do next weekend? Do you, are you able or free for dinner?" I'm like, "No idea. Today's Tuesday. I don't know. Like I'm just going to literally. I'm just trying to make it through today." And when you're dealing with crisis and you're dealing with substance abuse and you're dealing with addiction and behaviors like this, what we found is, you know, people work in their full-time jobs. We did. And, you know, you come home at night to be able to relax in your home or your weekends or holidays. Well, those were the worst days in the world for us. We didn't have, we didn't have downtime. And so you lived on high alert for years and that's not good for your nervous system either. No, no, it has been directly linked to autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. I I have over the last 10 years been diagnosed with chronic urticaria, which is hives and Mm -hmm. Crohn's disease and thyroid disease, all these autoimmune diseases. I've overcome two of the three at this point and I'm working on the third, but all of this stuff is linked. If we live in this state of constant Mm hypervigilance, we are doing permanent damage to our bodies, not just our minds or our hearts. A hundred percent of everything that you said there, that's like, that's the piece of it. And I think it's, I mean, I'm going to be turning 53 very shortly and I sit here and I think back of, you know, how my strength was being the perfectionist for years. Like I, I mean, you want stuff done, I get it done. I was, I would work harder than most people, but when I really started to strip away that perfectionism, besides if you want to learn how to not be a perfectionist, write a book because there's just... (laughs) You can't, you can't take perfectionism into writing a book. It doesn't work. Um, (laughs) And so when I stripped that perfectionism away and really started to do more research and understand what it was underneath perfectionism, right? There is lives shame and under shame lives fear. And it's this fear of not wanting to be seen for making a mistake or not being good enough. And I started to recognize it. And now I am like the total opposite. Like I get people screenshot and they send me things all the time. They're like, you have a spelling mistake on your post on, like, it's so funny on this. And, you know, as a writer, I would think that that's important for you to know. I just laughed and I'm like, yeah, it's on brand. That's on brand. Mistakes are on brand now. We're good. (laughs) (laughs) I posted a meme on Facebook. I think it was last week that said, hey, now one character is talking to another. First character says something like, you know, I've been doing really well on social media, but I'm just looking to get more engagement. And the person they're speaking to says, just make a spelling mistake. Oh my God. That's good. That's so good. Yeah. It blows me away. Like I, if I see it, I just laugh, but I'm, I would never take a screenshot and send it to somebody and say, you've made mistakes. Like I just wouldn't, but that's just, no, no. that's somebody else that is projecting. They are themselves dealing with their own traumas and perfectionism is one of their trauma responses. And in their perfectionism, they have to point out the mistakes of somebody else because they they need to do this to make themselves feel better. Yes. They're helping you to be more perfect. Yes. And actually, if I can tie that to a really quick story, when I wrote my book, um, and I mean, you've written a book. So like we edited this thing. I don't even know how many times we had multiple editors look at it. There was, and there were still mistakes we found right up until the day before that we made changes to. And when, I mean, this is the most vulnerable story of, of, of my life. And I had somebody bring it to me literally with sticky notes 
and, and they brought it to me because they wanted me to know where all my mistakes were. And I just looked and I was like, okay, there's a couple ways you can respond right now, Marsha. And I just looked and I said, is that what you took out of the most vulnerable thing I've ever shared in my life was where my spelling mistakes were. And they said, but this is very important. It's a published book. It's very, very important. I mean, it's, and I just looked and I said, it's important to you. It's not to me. If I can make mistakes, it shows that you don't need to be perfect in order to publish a book. And I'm good with it. And that was actually probably the point where I let go of perfectionism. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful moment, but super powerful. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Who would you say inspires you the most? Mm. Well, this is funny because I think a few years ago, you know, I think of certain people, I have a lot of um, mentors and I have coaches that I've worked with. I mean, Brene Brown's work definitely inspired me in the early years. Um, but now I'm going to say it actually sometimes is just the average person that I see showing up and allowing themselves to be seen. The, the people who are out there sharing a story, they're afraid to do it, but I see them do it anyways. Um, the people who navigate the criticisms and the, you know, difficult judgments. So so I just recently connected with somebody on social media who he's a singer and incredibly good. And then, but then he started to tell a story and I was like, Ooh, it's the story piece. Like I can hear the story. I hear the backstory and what he's come through. And I just admire anybody who is in that space of allowing themselves to be seen and heard. Because really that's what builds connection and what's the number one thing we're all craving is more and more real authentic connections. Yes. Yeah. And the world of social media seems to be pulling us apart from that more and more. I think we yes. need more human interactions. I agree. I agree. And that, that requires letting people actually see and hear like who you are at the core. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Do you happen to have your book handy? Would you be okay with reading part of it for the audience? Yes, I would. There's, I actually, this was, I was like, what do I want to read from it? Because there's so much here. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow my gut and I'm going to read one little section if that's okay. Um, letting go of the why. One of my favorite quotes, life can only un- be understood backwards, yet it must be lived forwards. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes by Soren Kierkegaard. Life can only make sense when we look at it in reverse. It doesn't always make sense, yet sometimes when we look back, we can see how the dominoes added up to bring us to where we are today. We tend to spend so much time questioning and looking for justifiable explanations as to why things happen the way that they do. The why is only important when you're driving towards our goals, when we are working for a purpose. In this example, the why can keep us grounded and focused. When we use the word why for judgment, justification, or jealousy, it can be paralyzing. It will only keep us stuck in our challenges, unhappy, and not living the life we're meant to live. It's a complete waste of time, energy, and precious resources. Asking why keeps us tied in the past, reliving painful memories and missing the joys of the present moment. I don't know why my boys started drugs when they did or why it escalated to the level that it reached. Truthfully, it doesn't matter anymore. The why is irrelevant. The word what is all that matters. What is my next step? 
What is my next choice for my life? What do I want to create in my life? What makes me happy? Fills my cup to overflow. The word what grounds me and reminds me that it is not all about me. Life is happening for me, not to me. And what legacy do I want to be remembered for? The what is everything. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I named my book when she stopped asking why, because I often ask people, what's the turning point? And the turning point for me was when I let go of why I had to stop asking. I had to stop asking why the why was killing me. It was, it was almost as if, you know, if somebody showed up and said, this is why you're going through this, the why would have never been good enough. There was no reason that would make me feel better for what we were walking through. And so even to this day, I still use that analogy when I catch myself asking why, like, why is this happening? Why is it, why is this happening like this? All that matters is what, because what is an action word and that keeps me moving forward. And that's all I work to focus on. And sometimes my goal for the day is that simple. It's what, what am I doing instead of focusing on why? It was, it's such a brilliant healing tactic. Mm -hmm. You know, breaking it down to something as simple as deleting that word from your vocabulary as much as possible. I love that you, you picked up on that, Amanda, and said that, because I think that's one of the biggest things when I, when I'm on inter being interviewed on podcasts and I'm sharing a story, you know, the littlest things are what added up for me, changing my language, being aware of my words, like the why I had to go. And I'd say what? I was very big on saying the word stuck because I felt stuck in all aspects of my life. And it's like, okay, no wonder you feel stuck. You say it 10,000 times a day, like <laughs> you're not stuck. And so it was like learning and catching those things. And for me, I, those are some of the things that I had to do. The other was owning my own choices. And that's why I named my podcast that own your choices on your life. Because when I got to the point of recognizing that it wasn't my choice to own, Two people can't own a choice. If they both do, nobody does. And so I had to start standing in the space of saying, well, that's not my choice. If you want something different in your life, just make a different choice. You keep making these choices. That's up to you to make a different one. I'll support you. Like, and I think that's a big thing for me. I've used those words for a long time is that I will walk beside you. I will support you and I will cheer you on, but I will not push and pull you through life. That is not my job. That has right. never been my job. That is not what I'm here for. And learning those small changes, they sound super small, but when you're making those decisions, like again, thousands and thousands of times a day, it really can start to change your perspective when you can anchor in those small little changes. They do add up. Right. Vocabulary is so important too. I mean, NLP, uh, you touched on it earlier, really teaches us that our brains can't process the negative. No. So if we say we don't want to hit that tree while we're skiing down the slope, you're focusing on the tree, you're going to hit the tree. Exactly. Um, and I have this thing, um, I, I heard a uh, pastor of a church say this many years ago, stop, stop doing this. Do not shoot all over yourself. Mm -hmm. um, if you say the word should, it's because you're trying to correct yourself from doing something that you um, probably have every right to be doing. If you say the words, I shouldn't feel this way. If you take out the word shouldn't mm -hmm. and it no longer exists, that means that you're having to acknowledge that I feel this way. Mm, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's it. There's, there's some very um, basic premise of NLP right there in what you're saying. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just recently started studying NLP myself, but it's just fascinating. And I'm 
enjoying my studies and uh, really digging into it. So. It's very fascinating work. Honestly, I'm, I'm very grateful that I was led that way because now I can hear in myself and even in others, sometimes it's like, Ooh, don't say that. Like that's, is that, is that actually what you want? Um, it, our brain doesn't know the difference. It really doesn't know the difference. And when you really start to understand that like your subconscious mind is responsible for like 95 to 99% of what you think, do believe. And that all comes from like basically past memories. Our past is driving our future at all times until we can make a conscious decision for it not to. Yep. And there's no way we're going to get through it if we keep on with the, uh, uh, standard patterns that we've had. No, no, not at all. So if somebody wants to grab your book, Marsha, where should they go? The easiest place is uh, you can get it from my website, which is marshavanw.com. I think it's forward slash book. I've made it super easy. Um, or on Amazon is when she stopped asking why. Very cool. And I have links for your website, your Instagram, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, mm -hmm. your podcast, your YouTube, your TikTok, your outspoken. I've got all of these links and everything. I'm going to include them in the description of the podcast uh, because this is all really important stuff. And I want people to be able to, to follow you on social media and reach out to mm -hmm. you uh, for that guidance and leadership um, if that's what they need. Um, there's Thanks. always one last question that I always ask people before I let them go. And it's my most favorite question because it kind of brings everything all together. Mm -hmm. What is one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? My heart. I have a very big heart. Is, and it is something that I think because of my heart and what I've experienced, I actually... I'm really good at seeing someone's story from a different point of view. And that can be very helpful, especially when you're difficult in difficult times. And I can look at maybe what someone's walking through and see it from a different point of view, because I feel like I've been in all of those shoes of judgments and criticisms and hard times. So I think that um, my heart is what I'm going to say and I believe that the majority of people, I'm going to say everybody are really doing the best they can with the situation that they are walking through. And I think we could all move a lot further forward with less judgment. I think you are amazing. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but I think you're amazing. And mm -hmm. your work is touching lives out there, whether you're familiar with it or aware of it or not, you are touching way more lives than you could possibly realize. Mm, thank you so much. Honestly, Amanda, this has been a, a, such a pleasure to be here having this conversation with you. And I thank you for the work that you're doing, because again, this, we can't, create change until more and more of us are talking about these difficult topics, which I think is ultimately what my soul signed up for. I'm very happy your soul did. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. There you're going to find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. 
You can also tune into my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com.